Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you and to know that we have so many more that are gathered with us online. I love you. I appreciate you so very much. Something has occurred to me over the last few months, and I'm sure it's occurred to all of you, and that's why we're doing this series this month, is that if the last year or so has taught us nothing else, it's taught us the importance of patience, hasn't it? It's, it's, been, it's been challenging. In fact, that's, that's what patience is all about. It's about difficulty plus time, right? It's about doing difficult things over the course of time. And it's, we, we might put it this way, that anyone can do something easy for a long period of time or something difficult for a short period of time, but it, only a patient person can do something difficult for a long period of time. That's what patience is, right? It's doing something difficult for a long period of time. That's why another word for patience is long suffering, right? It's about suffering for a long time. It's about going through something difficult for a long period of time. Patience isn't about something easy, and it's not about something short. It's about something difficult for a long time period of time. Brian and I were just talking before services started about driving through states like Texas or states like Florida. And if you've ever done that, it's totally different than driving through small states, right? Because when you drive through small states and you cross a, a line, a state line, you think, oh, I'm making some progress, that it gets easier and easier because you, you just feel like you're going somewhere and something is happening and you're making some progress. But when you drive through Texas... It's like it's never going to end. We went to Colorado recently and we drove through eastern Colorado and then we drove through Texas through the Panhandle and down and it just feels like it goes on forever. Going on a road trip is difficult, but a short road trip doesn't take patience. A long road trip, on the other hand, especially through states like Florida or Texas, they take patience. And you know something you've probably noticed if you've taken a long road trip with your family is that when you get impatient, you sometimes hurt people in your life, right? Sometimes we hurt people, sometimes we lash out, sometimes we say things that are hurtful and mean, sometimes we do things that are hurtful and mean when we lose Patience. I was thinking about all of the sayings that we have for running out of patience and about to do something that's not very nice. We say, now the gloves are coming off, right? Or you're standing on my last nerve or no more Mr. Nice Guy, right? We, we have these sayings because we know that when we run out of patience, when we've done something difficult for a long period of time, and we've gotten to the end and we say, no more, I'm not going to do it anymore, I'm not going to be nice anymore, I'm not going to be patient anymore, I'm not going to suffer anymore. And then we take the pain that we've been feeling because we've been dealing with something difficult for a long period of time and then we put it on somebody else. And we say, you're going to deal with the pain I've been dealing with because I've been dealing with it too long. And this is the experience that we go through in so many areas of our life, isn't it? But, but thankfully, this is exactly the condition to which Scripture speaks. It's, it's exactly the condition over and over and over again to which Scripture speaks. Because God knows that His people are going to have to do difficult things for long periods of time. 
Not easy things for long periods of time, not, not difficult things for short periods of time, but difficult things for long periods of time. So God's people are going to have to be patient people, people who are long suffering, people who are willing to stay with it and not give up and not give in and not throw in the towel and not say, no more, Mr. Nice Guy. People who are willing to go the distance, to do something difficult for a long period of time. But how do we do that? How do we keep doing the right thing when it's the difficult thing for a long period of time? Anybody, anybody can do the right thing, even if it's difficult for a short amount of time. And anybody can do the right thing if it's an easy thing for a long period of time. But it takes a patient person to do the right thing when it's a difficult thing for a long period of time. So how do we do that? How do we be patient people? So this is the question that I was kicking around and thinking about this week. What fuels patience? What fuels patience? What is it that motivates patience, that helps us to keep going and do difficult things for a long period of time? Is it excitement? And we get excited about something and you could do something that's difficult if you're excited, right? If you're excited enough, you can do something that's difficult. In fact, sometimes that's what we want church to be, kind of like a, a pep rally, get us excited, go out and do something hard this week. But excitement sort of wears off. And burns out, doesn't it? And you just kind of say, well, that, that was the end of that. It's kind of like a sugar high, you know? It, it gets you going for a little bit, but then, then you come crashing down. How about anger or fear? Are these what fuel patience? I, I mean, they can certainly motivate us and get us going, but it's typically not in the right direction. How about just passion and excitement, enjoying something? I mean, some of these things can get us excited and can help us to do something difficult, but typically it's for a short period of time, or, or it, might, it might give us some trajectory for a long period of time, but it's in the wrong direction. What about just even experience? I, I was thinking about that this morning. What about experience? Sometimes when you're, when you're new to something and it's hard and it's really difficult to be patient because you don't have the experience... But all of us encounter something new, regardless of how old we are, or mature we are, or experienced we are. We all come up against something new, something difficult that we've never been through before. All of us right now are living through something we've never lived before, right? This is new and different. No matter how old you are, this is the first time in 100 years any of us have had to deal with something like what we're going through. And so no matter how experienced we are, no matter how excited we are, no matter how patient we are, or how passionate we are, how fearful we are, how angry we are, these things don't fuel patience to do the right thing when it's the difficult thing for a long period of time. But that's what we are called to do. That's what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, is to take up your cross and follow him, not for a minute, not for a day, not for an hour, not for a week or, or even for a year, but for a lifetime to take up your cross and to follow Jesus, to do the right thing when it's the difficult thing for a long period of time. So what fuels that? Again, thankfully, Scripture speaks to this on nearly every page of the Bible, and it tells us what fuels patience. 
This morning we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6, but I kind of want us to think about the context of Hebrews before we do. It's a book we've been talking about in our morning devotionals every morning, and it's something we started talking about the beginning of the year, fixing your eyes on Jesus. The book of Hebrews is all about not falling away, because there were Christians who were being pulled away from the church, pulled away from Jesus, pulled away from his people, pulled away from his message by their culture, by the religious, cultural, national traditions of the Jewish people. And they were being pulled away from from Jesus and from his message and from his people by their culture and their traditions. And the Hebrew writer is writing to them, admonishing them, encouraging them, don't, don't fall away from Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Be patient. Follow Jesus, even though it's difficult. Follow Jesus, even though it's hard. Follow Jesus, even though you're suffering for a long period of time. Keep following Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't be derailed. Don't be distracted. Don't fall away. And then he warns them about the eternal consequences of falling away, the eternal consequences of listening to another message, of being derailed from the path of discipleship. And then he kind of changes gears just a little bit and is kind of encouraging. He, he kind of comes down on him pretty hard and says, if you fall away, if you get derailed, if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, here are going to be the consequences. But then he says in chapter 6 and verse 9, he says, though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. So notice, that's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Notice that he says about serving the saints, that this is the evidence of their salvation. It's not they're saved because they serve the saints. They're saved because they've been hard workers. But he says, this is the evidence of your salvation. The evidence that you belong to Jesus. The evidence that God is saving you. The evidence that you've been changed is what? Serving the saints. Taking care of others. Love towards other people. Isn't that what Jesus says? That even the world will know you are his disciples by what? By the love you have for each other. And this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? This is why it's difficult. Because when we become impatient, when we lose our focus, when we aren't being the people that we're supposed to be, then we are impatient with each other and we don't treat each other well. But he says, listen, I know, I I have a feeling that there are good things in store for you because I know about the way you have served the saints and I know about the way you are serving the saints, but there were some in his audience and some that had been part of that church family who had already begun to forsake, as he'll say in chapter 10, forsake God's people, forsake Jesus and his message and his people. And that was evidence of their condemnation. Serving the saints and doing the work that Jesus has called us to do is evidence of salvation and not serving the saints. And forsaking the saints is evidence of their condemnation. Look at verse 11, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. 
And we desire each one of you to show the same, I love these words, earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Notice those words, earnestness. What does earnestness mean? Like diligence and eagerness, doing what needs to be done, being hard workers. And then notice assurance of faith. Those two things go hand in hand, earnestness and assurance. Earnest people are people that are assured, and assured people are people that are earnest. Hardworking people are people that are sure that this path that I'm on and this work that I'm doing is worth it. They're assured of that. They're confident of that. And confident people are eager, earnest, diligent people. People that are doing kingdom work are people that have kingdom hope. People that aren't doing kingdom work are people that lack kingdom hope. You see how those two things go hand in hand? If you're doing kingdom work, it's because you have kingdom hope. If you're not doing kingdom work, it's because you lack kingdom hope. You lack the assurance of hope. When you have assurance of hope, when you say, I know where this road ends, I know where this path leads, I know what's coming at the end, then you can have that confidence. But with the confidence, with the assurance goes earnestness, eagerness, diligence, hard work, and you say, I'm willing to do the hard things. I'm willing to do the suffering. I'm willing to do the work because I know where this road leads. I know where this path ends. Then he says in verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. That's the opposite of earnest, right? So that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, he's going to go through over and over again throughout this book and talk about people of faith. But along with faith goes patience. And along with patience goes faith. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't have faith without patience. You can't have patience without faith. And the people who inherit the promises of God are those who do so through faith and what? Patience, doing the hard things for a long period of time. People that are willing to keep going, that have both the earnestness, but not just this zeal and excitement that burns out really quickly like a kid who's had too much sugar and then has a crash, but people that are willing to do the hard things for a long period of time because they have both faith and patience. And he says, these are the people these are the people that you need to imitate, people like Abraham, who had both faith, who knew God will keep his promises, and patience. And because I know God is going to keep his promises, I'm willing to do the hard things and be the right kind of person for a long period of time, even if it costs me everything. I'm not given up after an hour. I'm not given up after a day. I'm not given up after a week. I'm not given up after a year. I'm in it for the long haul. He tells his audience, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. This is the only way you inherit the promises of God is if you stick with it and you keep going and you have both faith and patience. Then he says in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. 
Now think about this for a second because he's going to spend some time talking about oaths. Now when you take an oath or when you make a promise, there's two things typically. When you take an oath, there's two things that are at stake here, right? And there's two things that determine the reliability of the promise or the oath. One is the person who said it, right? Do I trust that person? Is this a trustworthy person? Does he keep his promises? Does she keep her promises? And whatever they swear on, right? So if somebody's not very trustworthy, they might pick something that's more trustworthy than them to swear on that, right? They, you say, well, you might not believe me, but I swear on my mother's grave or whatever it is. And you, well, my, his mother was really good, so I'm going to believe him because he swore on something greater than himself. The Hebrew writer says God had nothing greater or higher to swear upon. He swore upon himself. So both, in this case, both the person who said it and that on which it said is God, right? So there's no one, there's no promise that's more reliable than this one. No oath that's ever been sworn that's more reliable than this one. God keeps his promises. And when God made a promise to Abraham, he swore it on himself because there was no one higher. Verse 14, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Do you remember? Abraham was 75 years old. And God says, I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the seashore, like the stars in the sky. I'm going to multiply you. Abraham had no kids. And he was 75 years old. And then he was 76. And then he was 77. And then he was 80. And then he was 90. And then he was 100. Abraham waited for 25 years for God to keep his promise. This is what patience looks like. These are the people that inherit the promises. The people who have both faith and patience. Those who have earnestness and assurance. Those who believe God will keep his promises and are willing to do the hard things, to do the difficult things for a long period of time. For Year after year after year, decade after decade, Abraham still had no kids. And every time Abraham had a plan that thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll have a shortcut. Maybe I'll do it like this. Maybe God will keep his promises through this thing. And every time Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands, God says, no, just wait. And that's how Abraham obtained the promise. And the Hebrew writer is saying the same thing to his audience. And he's saying the same thing to us. Do you want to be the people that obtain the promise? Do you want to be the people that obtain the inheritance that God has for you? If you do, then you have to imitate those who inherited the promises before you. And they did so through faith and patience. Know that God keeps his promises. And if you know that God keeps his promises, you'll hang on. Verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to make to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. You see all of those words? Confirmation, convincingly, unchangeable, guaranteed. God wanted Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants to know, I'm not going to change my mind. 
I'm not going to be like, well, you know, that seemed like a good idea, but I think I'm going to go in a different direction. God's not going to do it. He's going to stay with his purposes. He's going to stay with his plan. He's going to stay with his will. The things that he's laid out and the promises that he's made, they are not going to change. You can take it to the bank. You can believe in him. You can trust in him. And if you have this assurance and if you have this confidence and you have this conviction and you know these things are true, then you will be able to wait. Just wait and see that God will keep his promises. Verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things, God God said it, right? And that's not going to change. And he swore by himself, and that's not going to change. In which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. That's it, isn't it? That's the key to patience. The key to patience is hope. Hold fast to the hope. Hold fast to the knowledge of what's coming, of what will be, because the one who said it, the one who said it can't lie. He's not going to change his mind. The one who said it isn't going to change. And if that's true, and if you could believe the one who said it and the foundation on which it was said, which is his own character, then you can know this is what's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. There's no change in his mind. There's no going in a different direction. This is what's going to happen. It's scary when you don't know what's going to happen, isn't it? It's scary when you don't know what's coming next. It's scary when you don't know how things are going to turn out. And when you don't know how things are going to turn out, and when you don't know what's going to happen next, and you don't know how long it's going to last, and you don't know how long it's going to be hard, it's difficult, and you begin to lose patience. And when you begin to lose patience, you can see it in the way you treat other people. And the Hebrew writer can see the cracks beginning to form within this church family. And there were already those who had made it a habit to forsake Jesus and his people. And he writes to remind them and to admonish them, God isn't going to change his mind. And you've got to hold fast to this hope that's set before us. Verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Oh, there's so much there, isn't there? That's so good. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Our hope is our anchor. Our hope is our anchor. And when your anchor is steadfast, then your soul isn't tossed to and fro, right? When your anchor is steadfast, when it's anchored in something solid, when it's anchored in something that doesn't change, then your soul doesn't get tossed to and fro. But if your soul is getting tossed to and fro, if every time something bad happens, if every time something difficult happens, we get tossed to and fro, We become impatient and we say, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not going another step. No more Mr. Nice Guy. 
It's evidence that our hope isn't anchored where it should be. If our hope is anchored in our health, if our hope is anchored in our wealth, if our hope is anchored in our comfort, if our hope is anchored in our country, if our hope is anchored in anything that can fail, if our hope is anchored in anything that can move, if our hope is anchored in anything that can waver, then we too will waver. Then we will get tossed to and fro. But the Hebrew writer says, listen, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Our hope has entered into the inner place behind the curtain, into the holy of holies. Over and over again through this book, he'll tell them, your hope isn't anchored in the Levitical priesthood. Your hope isn't anchored in the Jerusalem temple. Your hope isn't anchored in Moses. Your hope isn't anchored in the law. Your hope isn't anchored in circumcision. Your hope should be anchored in Jesus. And church, we need that same message today. Your hope isn't anchored in Washington, D.C. Your hope isn't anchored in Los Angeles, California. Your hope isn't anchored in the United States of America. Your hope isn't anchored in your wealth. Your hope isn't anchored in your health. Your hope isn't anchored in your comfort. Your hope should be anchored in Jesus. Our hope is anchored in that which has gone into the inner place, into the holy of holies, not, not into the Jerusalem sanctuary, but into the heavenly sanctuary. And if that's true, nothing can mess it up. Nothing can change it. Isn't that good to know? Nothing could change it. It doesn't matter what happens, if it's raining or if it's sunny. It doesn't matter if it's hard or if it's easy. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or if I'm poor. It doesn't matter if I'm healthy or if I'm sick. What matters is, where is my hope? And the Hebrew writer says it's in the, it's in the sanctuary. It's in the inner place. It's in the heavenly place where Jesus has gone. Look at verse 20. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus has gone there in front of us to take us there, to bring us to glory, to bring us into the Father's presence. This is our hope. This is our reality. This is what's been set before us. This is where our hope is. Our hope is where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest. What's the next word? Forever forever, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek in Genesis was both king and priest. And the Hebrew writer says, see, there's a framework for the Messiah being both king and priest. And Melchizedek's order and life didn't end. We don't have a record of his beginning or his end. And he says, just like that, Jesus is going to be king and priest. How long? Forever forever and as long as that's true your hope is anchored in the sanctuary as long as Jesus is high priest your hope is secure as long as Jesus is king your hope is secure as long as Jesus serves as king and priest your hope is secure and how long is that going to be forever forever the Hebrew writer is saying you need to imitate Abraham who had faith and patience. He was willing to wait year after year after year after year after year, decade after decade for 25 years. He waited. Why? 
Because he knew the one who made the promise. And as long as God is God, as long as Jesus is king, as long as Jesus is high priest, our hope is secure. You can't mess it up. You can't change it. It's not going anywhere. It's solid and secure. And that means I'm solid and secure. My soul is solid and secure. Our soul is solid and secure. This is where patience comes from. So three words I want us to think about this morning. Hope fuels patience. Hope fuels patience. Oh, we can come together and get excited a little bit and then go out and live a day or two and be excited and do what's right, do the difficult, hard things, but our excitement will wear off. But hope doesn't wear off. Hope doesn't wear out. Hope is anchored. Biblical hope, Christian hope, is anchored in Jesus. Our hope is in the sanctuary of God. And as long as Jesus is king, and as long as Jesus is high priest, we have an anchor for our souls. And as long as that's true, then we can be patient. We can be loving, we can be kind, we can be gentle, we can be joyful in spite of whatever happens around us. Our health can fail, our wealth can fail, our comfort can fail, even our country could fail. But this hope will not fail. And this is the anchor for our soul. Hope fuels patience. So when we begin to feel impatient, we feel like I'm running out of patience. I'm about to do the wrong thing. Gloves are coming off. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I've had it up to here. All of the sayings that we say, we have to remember, it. maybe it's not just a patience problem. Maybe it's a hope problem. Where is your hope anchored? And if your hope is anchored in the sanctuary of God, then you can do the right thing, even when it's the difficult thing, for a long period of time. It starts at baptism, doesn't it? That's what baptism is. It is anchoring our hope to Jesus, dying to self, giving our allegiance to Jesus and saying, you have my faith and you have my patience and I will fix my eyes on you. But along the way, it gets kind of hard sometimes, doesn't it? And our patience gets tested and our patience gets tried. That's a good saying, is it? You're trying my patience. That's a good saying. It's good for our patience to get tested. It's good for our patience to get tried. It makes us begin to question, where is our hope anchored? Our patience has been tried. Our patience has been tested. And if our patience is beginning to fail, maybe we need to realize it's not just a patience problem and maybe it's a hope problem. Maybe we need a reminder Maybe we need to constantly remind ourselves to anchor our hope in Jesus. We all need that reminder. And if we can help you with that in any way, shape, or form, one of our shepherds would love to meet with you at the information desk after services or as we stand and sing this song.